Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Vincent Chen, and it's Tuesday, July 17th. It's always a good day when I can chat with a guest who's actually here in person at Full HQ. And Motley Fool contributor Dan Klein has flown in from West Palm Beach, Florida to join us in the studio today. Thanks for traveling all this way, Dan. I came here because it's 10 degrees cooler here <laughs> and like 40 degrees cooler in the studio. Okay, there you go. It's a 900 mile <laughs> trip. I looked this up for that 10 degree difference. And I know it's probably scorching down there. That uh, We do have air conditioning down there. But. But you guys, you've also been spending a lot of time at the parks, right? A lot of time outdoors? A lot of time. I have a 14-year-old son who is sort of in between ages. He can't really work, and he's not really into a camp. Yeah. So we've been spending a lot of time waiting in line for theme park rides. Yeah. So yeah, I, think, I don't think I've ever known somebody who has gone to as many theme parks as you have in such a short period of time. Well, there's a lot of days where like you'll text me about doing a show or slack me about doing something, and I'll write back, like, answer in 15 minutes, riding King Kong. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so last week, when Asit and I talked about the Sonos IPO filing, um, I said my favorite shows tended to be IPOs and M&A deals, and we cover those quite often, too. But I realized I forgot something, and that's mailback questions. So it, it's hard to beat, I think, also addressing topics and concerns that come directly from our listeners, and that's exactly what we're going to do today. So, first off, for any fools who haven't already heard this spiel, uh, we're always taking questions. So, if you have something uh, investing, business related, anything on your mind, uh, don't hesitate to reach out to us via email to industryfocus at fool.com or on Twitter. Our handle is MF Industry Focus. So, today's question comes from a fool in Houston, Texas. Ryan wants to know the latest on Best Buy, and he specifically asked, I'd love to hear an updated view on Best Buy. Everyone is always talking about how Amazon is going to destroy all of retail, but I see Best Buy as a possible long-term value play. Thoughts? So there are a few different things to dissect in that question. Dan, you and I have spoken before about the Amazon threat and how they've disrupted plenty of industries, especially in retail, so there's no surprises there. But right? I also think it's important, and we've talked about this a lot, yes, Amazon is disrupting companies that didn't pay attention to Amazon. Yes. So if you're Sears and waited till like three months ago to, to do anything, <laughs> you really do like that. And your plan was like, hey, we'll have a sale. Then yes, <laughs> yes, you were disrupted. So a lot of I don't want to call them bad companies, but a lot of legacy companies that had always succeeded doing one thing, but. If you look at companies that went, yeah, Amazon and digital, these are threats. What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. And truly had long term plans to address it, those companies are thriving. Now, there's other headwinds there's mall traffic, there's things you can't control. But Best Buy and the big boxes, Costco would be the other example. Those are destinations and they, they don't have those same factors. So, Sears didn't have to be Sears. JCPenney didn't have to be hanging on this sort of precipice of success or failure. Amazon is a menace, but it's a solvable menace. Yes. So we'll say right off the bat with Best Buy, um, this is a company that has most definitely defied. Uh, a lot of bears and critics in the past decade. So, when the stock hit some of its worst lows back in 2012, um, a lot of market followers pointed to the company as a case study, essentially, for the decline of big box stores as e-commerce stole a lot of market share. Um, but the stock, at this point, is up several hundred percent since then. It has set fresh all-time highs in the past year. And if anything, I think the story has taken a complete 180, because Best Buy is now being pointed at as a case study for how a big box brick-and-mortar chain can adapt and succeed in today's environment. And I think if you go back, so on the Best Buy timeline... Yes. Let's walk through that. They had a little bit of false security. And I think the same thing has happened to Barnes & Noble. 
In 2009, Circuit City went out of business. Yes. It wasn't stunning, but there was a lot of thought that it would be a, a Chapter 11 and a reorg and that it would exist in some fashion. When they went fully out, I think the Best Buy mindset became, well, we're going to get 80% of this business, so we don't have to worry about anything. And the reality is, that business evaporated. It went to the internet. It went to alternate providers. Some of it went to uh, to Lowe's and Home Depot, which sells you know, appliances and other things that overlap. It wasn't the sort of given that we are two competing chains. When one closes, we are going to get some of that business. Circuit City closed for some of the fundamental problems that Best Buy had. And it wasn't really until late 2012 three years later, that they addressed some of those claims. Yeah. And it's not like Best Buy didn't aggressively try to take some of that market share, um, some of that business that was left on the table by Circuit City. Um, But let's keep going through the timeline. So, uh, we're approaching 2011, 2012, and there's some changes with the company, some changes in terms of uh, their view for the future. What did that look like? Well, in 2012, there was sort of a shocking CEO removal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Dunn, who had been the CEO, uh, was sort of, call him, one of the first uh, Me Too casualties. They they never specifically said exactly what the personal issue was. It was described as inappropriate behavior. Inappropriate behavior. And, you know, we don't need to go into the rumors. Yeah. And when he was sort of forced out, there was a bit of uh, there was talks of taking the company private. There were some offers out there. There was sort of turmoil. And then they hired Hubert Jolie to be their CEO. Yes. Now, to say this was an oddball pick at the time would be putting it mildly. His background was in hospitality. Restaurants, travel, uh, not hotels, not consumer electronics, yeah. not retail. So, it was a head-scratcher, but Jolie came in and he recognized that it was a customer service problem. It was a distribution problem. It was a how we're dealing with people. And he put in a turnaround plan. Yep. So, around the time that Hubert Jolie, he took the reins, um, the company was uh, in a tough spot in terms of uh, negative same-store sales being reported for many quarters, starting in, I believe, late 2008. And they didn't really recover to consistently positive levels until 2014, so years and years later. And you have to keep in mind, this is also a very challenging period when profitability was hurt by weaker operating margins. And shareholders had to really uh, have an iron will to, to stomach the stock, and, and it lost 80% of its value. And this is where we should bring up the word showrooming. Yeah. So, around this time, as Amazon was becoming ubiquitous, and most people had accounts, you weren't going to buy a TV sight unseen. There, there wasn't this level of trust where, like on Prime Day, we're all buying stuff we've never sure. seen. We don't know what it is. You would go to Best Buy and waste Best Buy resources by having the salesman show you the TV, take you through the features, and then you'd go, hmm, I'll come back tomorrow and buy it. <laughs> and you wouldn't. You would At that time, in 2012, you'd probably go home and buy it on your computer rather than buy it on your phone. But there was a decent chance that you were doing all this work. And I, I, when I ran a toy store, as we've talked about, we experienced this sometimes. Someone would take us through a, two hours on a $1,200 train set and then we'd never see them again until a year from later they came in with a broken train that they bought the train set someplace yeah. else. Um, so that was happening, and Best Buy had to take major steps to deal with that, and they dealt with it in two ways. Price matching was one of them, and we've both talked about it off air that their price matching is sketchy because it doesn't include delivery and it's not as convenient as Amazon. But the other one they did, and we were again just talking about this upstairs, is they lowered some of their prices. And it used to be 
you'd need something, batteries, a cable, a printer cable, whatever it is. And you'd go to Best Buy, and the price would be 15 times higher than Amazon. It would be like, you know, $40 versus two. They took a lot of those items and made them $6, $8, $10. Things like headphones that are sort of a commodity, but you if you if you break your $12 headphones, you don't want to wait till tomorrow till 2 days from now to get them. Sure. But if you go to Best Buy and they're $35 like they are at the airport, then well, you're going to wait and mm-hmm. order them. They corrected a lot of that stuff. They also took salespeople off commission and sort of changed the vibe in their store where you could trust that the person who was pointing you towards a product might actually like that product rather mm-hmm. than you know getting a slightly higher commission on it. Sure. Uh, and they doubled down on service. So the Geek Squad and handling all this stuff. Yeah, you can buy your TV from Amazon. Are they going to mount it? I mean, yeah, Amazon sells that now, but it's still a lot easier to do that all in one. Yeah, well, let's step back a little bit because uh, to clarify, these are some of the initiatives that you mentioned. Now they're all they're all part of a push that they branded as their Renew Blue campaign, right? And so this uh, campaign, uh, I believe, launched in around 2012. Is that correct? In 2012, and I uh, ran for about four or five years. Um, it, they wrapped that up, I believe, last March or the yeah, March. Yeah, it didn't before have then. a timetable on it. Mm-hmm. It had it had goals, but yes, last year they declared that they are no longer a turnaround. Okay, in that phase, right? And so th- that was uh, kind of the silver lining, if you've been following this story, um, because many of the Renew Blue initiatives pushed the company in the right direction, and um, there was also uh, cost-cutting measures and just a realignment in a lot of their resources. I think too. I think it's important, like so again, to bring up Sears. Sears has been aggressively cost-cutting, but if you cost-cut and don't add or change the experience, maybe you can shrink your way to some level of profitability. But the reality is, Best Buy cost-cut, but they also did things like bring in Apple and IBM and Microsoft, not IBM, Apple, Microsoft, Samsung, store-within-a-store concepts. Yes. They, they gave you more reasons to go to their store, while also meticulously cutting costs. Uh, over a billion dollars? I want to say a billion four? $1.4 billion, mm-hmm. yeah. So, okay, um, you know, wrapping up on that, kind of some of the lead-up here, um, which I think is important context to understand, uh, this next phase now that the company's entering, um, that brings us to uh, their current status and its outlook going forward, which they've, again, branded as their new blue. Uh, pretty clever. Uh, <laughs> details for this 2020 roadmap were shared last fall. Can you give us a little bit of detail on what that looks like? Yeah, it's it's really sort of building their place as a brand expert, as a place to go. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of doubling down on, yes, you could buy these products facelessly from a lot of other people, but you could come into Best Buy and get the full experience and it's going to cost you the same amount. So, you know, it's it's adding more store within a stores, uh, other brands and that which if you want to buy an Apple product, you're actually working with a salesman who knows the Apple products. It's not just someone who's picking it off off a shelf or can tell you what the pricing is. So it's really sort of enhancing that, and then it's also adding to the service model, uh, you know, further with Geek Squad and with with home setup and pricing some of those things a little bit differently, so it's maybe a little less off-putting to people. Yep, and you know, at this point. Their comparable store sales have uh, recovered to positive levels. Um, their operating margins are back to more sustainable levels as well, and definitely in a stronger financial position. Um, I was looking at the very long and detailed investor presentation that they shared about this new blue kind of initiative, and some of the things that jumped out to me, um, you know, they're looking at 
uh, underpenetrated or new product categories, uh, play, things like appliances and mobile phones, smart home, a, a small market share, or big opportunity, and they can really look into investing into that more. Um, they're focusing on services a lot. Um, over hardware, um, they have numbers. Uh, Pinning services spending in terms of consumer technology as being 80% of where consumers are putting their money. So, that being a really important part of uh, their efforts going forward. And then trying to differentiate, like you've mentioned, in terms of that service level um, with things like tech demos, uh, having more knowledgeable employees in general, and then the tech support after you've taken a product home, for example, Geek Squad and Home Advisors. Yeah, and, and I'll give you an example. So, we just got a smart thermostat in sure. our, in our uh, second home. We didn't intend to get one. It was just what the guy had on his truck, and he installed it. It took me three hours of reading and playing to download the app, get everything hooked up, and I still can only control like half of the things I think I can control sure. fully. So I would have paid a slight premium for Best Buy to come out and set that up and teach me, or I would happily go to a Best Buy in-store seminar to learn how to use it better, and maybe while I'm there, I would buy a video game or well, I don't you can know, just sit, you, at least you have someone you can ask questions to. Yeah, and I think as those markets, it, which is sort of a parallel to the consumer electronic market, as the smart home market, the smart home services market is going to explode because you and I might be able to figure out, you know, how to install a Ring uh, doorbell ourselves. My mom can't. Mm-hmm. But my mom has an Amazon Echo in the center of her house, and it would be very useful for her to be able to say lights on when she comes home. And I think Best Buy is going to be a, a popular gift starting this Christmas season, where you're seeing the gift of services for that type of stuff. And that's what they're pivoting heavy into. Yeah, and they're looking at kind of the demographics and the categories that they can break their customers into, and then... Uh, target them accordingly based on thing uh, based on broad categories and trends like smart home, like cybersecurity, and also uh, assured living, which is basically kind of the assistance for older consumers. That is all. Those are all things that they've focused on and looked at as part of this uh, new blue initiative. And uh, just to give you an example, they're dedicating 1,500 employees to focus on smart home selling. And then they're also rolling out 300 of these in-home advisors where people will come into uh, to the comfort of your own home, where they find that consumers are a little bit more open, more comfortable um, in terms of looking at new products, at looking at new services, uh, increased spending, or incremental spending. And they want to be kind of like a technology consultant, and once they've established that relationship, uh, they see uh, best. Uh, these consumers see Best Buy as kind of like a. There's a greater connection. There. It's sort of like mega omni-channel. Yeah. You know, every retailer talks about omni-channel, which is the idea that you're standing in a store and order on your smartphone, or you order on your smartphone and you pick up in the store. It's that it doesn't matter. Best Buy is moving to. They'll offer you. Sales, like the actual sales help and pitch wherever you are, at your home, at your business. And that sort of takes it to a level. It's hard for a pure digital company to do that. You know, Amazon does not have great customer service if you've ever had to do it. They're great on returns, they're great, but there's no one to call at Amazon when you don't know how to use your smart refrigerator or, or whatever it or is. Or you have a more technical problem with your product yeah. or whatever that you've bought and, there. And sure. Best Buy is really looking at that being a a true omni-channel. You can do it in the store. You can do it on a pre-recorded thing on, on the web. You can do it with an actual person. You can, from before you even buy it, have someone you know consulting with you on it. So it's going to be a really interesting 
model because what we don't know, and we've talked about this before too, we do not know exactly what people want out of smartphone, mm-hmm. uh, smart home. Do you really want a refrigerator who tells you like you have six eggs, they're fresh, that could make two omelets with the ingredients you have in <laughs> in here? I think that'd be pretty nifty. I would have said no. But if you knew how many times a day I checked my smart thermostat, because <laughs> it really is cool to see like how you can tweak it yes. to, you know, oh, I saved another three cents here because I moved it to 78 during this day part where I'm not home. Mm-hmm. Or, or geez, if I set it at 77, it only cycles on six times a day, as opposed to at 76, it cycles on every 20 minutes. Like, you really can learn some stuff. Okay. All right. So, uh, that extra service, that high touch service that they want to offer, it, they see that as a differentiator. And of course, returning to uh, Amazon, which was mentioned in the question, you know, Best Buy has also worked to consistently grow its online business. Um, I, their online revenue, I believe, topped five billion dollars recently, and that's double the levels from where it was five years ago. So they're pushing on that in that uh, in that realm, and it's enjoying a double-digit growth uh, annual growth rate. So, that's not something they're neglecting as well. It's, it is omni-channel, right? They've also done a good job with rewards, their rewards program and integrating that to their website. Their website used to be a chore. You, you would go and they have a feature where you can see if something is in the store. And that would work okay for new inventory, but for things like open boxes and sales and discounts, it never worked that well. They've really done a good job. That to, to my local Best Buy, I can literally see what they have in open box inventory on televisions and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they've improved that, and you know, in general, they've improved their shipping, their ability. You know, they're not Amazon. You're not getting everything in two days unless you know, unless it's a big ticket item. Um, but it's improved quite a bit. Yeah, and that's part of the the new blue initiative as well. Um, so the company offers some uh, additional guidance in terms of fiscal year 2021. They're targeting 43 billion dollars revenue, about two billion dollars of non-GAAP operating income, an ongoing operating margin around four and a half percent. I think they've planned another 600 million dollars of, of potential cuts. cost savings, and. Ultimately, I think with that operating margin, for example, they're running into issues where that's down for from where management had previously hoped to deliver. Uh, I think they previously envisioned like five to six percent, but they realize now um, kind of a symptom of the increased investments and in service offerings that they're trying to roll out um, to develop these deeper relationships with customers. It's a worthwhile trade-off, and some of the increased uh, capital spending, the capital expenditures, um, will be going to things like supply chain investments, will have which will have its Benefits go towards both their online channel and also their brick and mortar business. Um, so, getting to Ryan's core question now, um, I'm curious, Dan, where do you stand then on Best Buy as a long term value play? Are you sold after doing this due diligence? I am. So, I, I've been a, a fan for a few years. Uh, that said, I think Best Buy has been very good in that they're experimenting. They will walk away from things that don't work, they will double down on things that do work. And this is a company that figured out this is where bottom is. We 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 <laughs> you know, we we can operate. They got smaller. They they lost some stores, they lost some people. They we can operate here if we're well run. And now it's build it back up. You know, they got rid of the small mobile stores. They they sort of refocused and 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 put everything back together in a different way. And most retailers are great at cutting. They're not good at cutting and also trying new things. So 
I think, do I think Best Buy is going to be where it was before there was an internet? No. Do I think the company will mostly steadily grow with the occasional terrifying, you know, Christmas didn't go as well as we thought it would because uh, people didn't buy 6D televisions? A short term hiccup. Yeah, I think, I I don't think they're immune from that Mm -hmm. because too much of their business is tied to technology answers that nobody gets 100% right. 3D televisions being, you know, a recent VR. There was a lot of thought that VR headsets were going to be a big deal last last Christmas and, for consumers, and, and, and it hasn't gotten. And they there. were not. Yeah. So if you like what you've heard about New Blue on management's focus areas, some of these initiatives that they're rolling out, and then the longer term guidance that Best Buy has shared on things like revenue growth, their profitability, their e commerce, um, there's still a few other things to consider. So shares of Best Buy are currently trading around seventy five dollars, um, with a forward price to earnings multiple of about fifteen times, and with annual earnings growth over the next five years at about eight and a half percent. That's a price to earnings growth ratio of one point seven. So it's not quite the less than one level that typically indicates an undervalued stock. Um, but we're talking about a more mature retail operation here. And there are other parts uh, to include in the equation. So, for one, the company pays a pretty generous dividend of 2.4%. And management has guided to sticking to a 35% to 45% payout ratio going forward uh, for its dividend payout. And that payout ratio um, is the amount of net income being paid out to shareholders. In the past few years, Best Buy has stayed within that guided range. And then on top of that, um, uh, though management is looking to increase its capital spend, they've also been active with their share repurchases. And in the past three fiscal years, they bought back $3.7 billion of stock. So that effectively reduced the outstanding share count by 20%, you know, quite significant. And uh, while the ongoing repurchases are going to vary going forward, um, the company's balance sheet is very strong. They have $2 billion of net cash, and Best Buy generated $1.4 billion of free cash flow last year. So financially, in that strong position where you're right, they're kind of right sizing the business in terms of figuring out where things are. Not that they've closed a lot of locations at. No, at. but they, they've shrunk some locations. They mm-hmm. did get rid of the, the mobile stores, which turned out to be very smart because they were all mall-based, or mostly mall-based. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were dependent on traffic. And cell phones have largely become a commodity, so you don't really want smartphone-only stores. That no longer makes mm-hmm. much sense. They're also really well-positioned to take advantage of the changes in retail. There are a lot of Toys R Us locations. There are a lot of Sears locations Mm -hmm. that are available. If you're a stable company with a good balance sheet, your ability to go to a mall operator, a Simon or whoever it is, and say, I'm happy to go into your five new malls on these terms, they have the ability to do that because they're not going to go out of business in the next, you know, three years. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, JCPenney cannot make the same promise. Yeah, they're. Uh, I think they are considering all the factors going into this. Uh, you know, management has acknowledged that with the online push, they're seeing a little bit of cannibalization of their brick and mortar business. But they're considering how these two things are synergistic well, and how they work that, together. That, that's a whole show. Mm-hmm. But how you're reporting a digital versus a physical sale in an omni-channel world, uh, in most cases, it's based on where you pay for it. Uh, or where you pick it up, but there's no hard and fast rule on that. And given some of the gray areas there. Yeah, so the reality is stores will become distribution warehouses. They are for Best Buy. So, in many cases, a store will be involved in a sale it's not going to be credited for, which is why as we look at the next year, maybe two years of earnings before we figure out how to sort of quantify these things, don't just look at same store sales. If the whole company is increasing its sales, but same-store sales are down 1%, but digital sales went up 43%, that's probably still a win, because the stores are being utilized as part of that. Yeah. So, wrapping up, 
um, with everything that we've discussed, uh, I'll just say I'm pretty impressed with how Best Buy has managed to regain its footing and bounce back at a time when storied national chains like Toys R Us, you just mentioned, are closing their doors. And I personally have extra high standards and expectations before buying into a big brick and mortar retail business. So Best Buy, it may not isn't this probably right for me, but and we can't really tell you Ryan specifically what to do here, but we can at least give you some signposts to watch as you track the progress, the progress that Best Buy is making. So things like if they're able to accelerate same store sales, if there's growth in some of those underpenetrated product categories that we mentioned, um, strong results from the services side of the business, such as in-home advisors, and then also the continuing growth of their online revenue, and if they can do all of those things uh, without wearing down their bottom line profits, that's a very good sign. So definitely some things to keep in mind. Um, and I'd say it's, it sounds like Dan, you and I, are yeah, both and, pretty and, impressed. And, and with it's, story. it's hard to underplay confidence in management. Mm-hmm. But I look at what Jolie has done, and I assume his his lieutenants are are part of this, and all of the other management of the of company. Of course, of course. And that makes me think: okay, let's pretend smart home never moves much beyond a speaker that can tell you what the weather is. Maybe people just don't want this stuff, or it becomes something built into high end homes and not something the average person buys. I'm confident Jolie will see that and pivot and move into wherever people are. And that's not something I could say about a lot of retailers. Yeah. And they're at this point now where they're they're making this transition from a turnaround story to more of a kind of low growth, st- this stable business where they're looking at opportunities. Um, so thanks a lot, Ryan, for the question. Uh, Dan, any final thoughts from you before we roll off here? I think we should go to Best Buy. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, Dan, thanks so much for flying in and joining us today. Thanks for having me. Fools, uh, again, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. People in the program may own companies discussed in the show, and the Molly Fool may have formal rec- recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based only on what you hear during the program. Hold on.